Ultra. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Veer Pratap Singh and Zara Hyatt Khan from the film Veer Zara. And joining us for the discussion is first-time guest James Goldberg. Welcome, James. Hey, good to be here. Very glad to have you on. For any listeners who aren't familiar, Veer Zara is a 2004 Bollywood film starring Shah Rukh Khan as Veer and Preeti Zinta as Zara. It was directed by Yash Chopra and written by his son, Aditya Chopra. And it tells the story of star-crossed lovers, one who is Indian and one who is Pakistani. Um, James, this is a text that you requested. I kind of reached out saying, hey, we're looking to do another Bollywood film. And I know that you are more familiar with Bollywood than I am. <laughs> Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your familiarity with Bollywood films? Sure. Um, so my family is Punjabi on my mom's side. Uh, Punjab is uh, a region in India. There's also a state in India that's part of that larger region. And it was split in the partition of India and Pakistan. So half of Punjab is also in Pakistan. Um, So I grew up watching some Bollywood movies. There's Punjabi language movies too, but Bollywood are the Hindi language movies. We saw them the most. And I actually, my most recent novel that I co-wrote with Jancy Patterson is called The Bollywood Lovers Club. And it's about, it's a young adult romance that's about a Sikh girl and a Mormon guy who fall for each other over the course of a series of Bollywood movie nights. And uh, Veerzar is one of the the films there. When you'd asked about a Bollywood movie, there's so many good ones (laughs) I thought about, but... um, but some of the ones I love kind of undercut Bollywood tropes. And that's part of the joy for me. Whereas I feel like Veer Zara embodies a lot of the tropes and does so well um, with them. So it's a great movie, really watchable, and is a good introduction to Bollywood just because it's it's so typical of of some things that are that are part of the form and genre. I think that's something that we see with a lot of genres is as um, the elements and tropes get really codified and very familiar for an audience. You see those uh, movies that like embrace portions of them, but also push back or add some commentary uh, about aspects of those tropes. But you need to be pretty familiar with the genre to, to yeah. I think, fully appreciate, uh, um, you know, some of those those swerves that may happen in other texts. My example of this, if you've watched a couple Bollywood movies, you should watch Three Idiots. I love the movie Three Idiots, but you really need to have seen a couple first because I tried at first just recommending it and you'll get a lot of the story. It's still a good story, but you'll miss this layer of the humor um, that's built around yeah, the way it's relating to those tropes where if it's your second or third Bollywood movie, you'll be a lot better off. Yeah, I think uh, for the deconstruction to really be appreciated, you need to know the construction <laughs> that, yep. that has come before. Yeah, that's right. That's absolutely right. Um, so my familiarity with Bollywood films is like I'm aware of it being a massive phenomenon 
for a global market that has not been fully embraced in the United States. And uh, so I'm, I'm more aware of it as something that is out there that I haven't necessarily engaged with very much in my life. The main other time we we did an episode of the podcast about Dilwale uh, in 2018, um, which was another Bollywood, a Bollywood film that uh, also um, stars Shah Rukh Khan. Uh, so I, I'm going to just repeat some of the trivia <laughs> that, when we get to the trivia about this. So why don't we just jump right into that section? Uh, the so- soundtrack for this film was the highest selling album in India in the year 2004. It was the highest grossing film in uh, or Indian film in 2004. And it received positive reviews for its handling of in- Indian-Pakistan relations, uh, feminism, religion, and secularism. Uh, there's quite a bit that's actually present in the text, uh, and, and not just as subtext, but as, as text. Like, we're going to address some of these issues uh, head on while still, in, well, while still uh, you know, employing, like, the, the big dance numbers that you kind of expect for a Bollywood <laughs> film and, uh, like, the, the kind of hyper-romanticism. Uh, that that I at least associate with with Bollywood uh, in in my conception of what it is. Um, and so a little bit of the trivia that we shared back in 2018 when we talked about Dilwale. Um, Bollywood is more accurately called Hindi cinema, uh, the which is the Hindi language film industry based in Mumbai, India. Mumbai was named Bombay until 1995, which resulted in the portmanteau of Bollywood. Uh, and Indian cinema as a whole is the largest film industry in the world. And Bollywood is the largest subset of Indian film. According to some estimates, Indian films sell 3.6 billion tickets a year compared to Hollywood's 2.6 billion, which is a large difference. (laughs) Yeah. And part of that's just India, right? You have world's largest democracy to the extent that it's still operating as one, but you know, huge population, but like in the Arab world, uh, Bollywood films are extremely popular. Um, probably the second biggest Indian film scene would be the Tamil language film industry, which uh, thanks to streaming is more accessible now. Like like people outside of India are starting to watch Tamil languages films. So that's from the South. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bollywood is more representative of the culture of the North. Um, okay, and the last bit of trivia about Shah Rukh Khan or SRK. He is a very big deal in Bollywood. Um, he has had the nicknames King Khan or the King of Bollywood and is one of the biggest film stars in the world. But as American audiences, we tend to um, be pretty unfamiliar with him. But he's made over 80 Bollywood films. Uh, his career began in 1982, and he's very philanthropic and has many business ventures. And in 2008, Newsweek named him one of the 50 most powerful people in the world. And it's just... I, I always like when you discover, uh, you know, the, this whole world that is thriving outside of a lot of our mainstream uh, awareness. Uh, and Shah yeah. Khan, I think, is very representative of that idea. Yeah, yeah. Huge, huge deal. Um, another thing about Birzara specifically is that the cast is just a powerhouse cast. Um, so, like, uh, BBC did a poll where they asked people to vote for who's the entertainer of the millennium. And the winner of that was Amitabh Bachchan, who was kind of the previous generation's version of Shah Rukh Khan. Uh, he's famous for films like Shole, that's a Bollywood classic. Um, he's in this film as Shah Rukh Khan's uncle who raised him. Uh, one of the actresses in the film, Zora Segal, is a Bollywood actress who did her first film in the 1930s. Um, 
and then is I think that it is in her nineties uh, playing a, a role, prominent role early in this film, and then just just any face you see basically in this movie, they're a big deal. They've done something else, right? Um, this was kind of a uh, a getting the gang together kind of cast, not yes. a uh, <laughs> let's discover. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just an incredible, um, incredible cast. All right. Well, before we move on to the full summary of this film, we want to thank you for downloading this episode. And we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter monthly episodes in which we talk about the media we've been consuming that we are not yet covering as full episodes of the podcast. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss on the podcast. On to the spoiler summary. When I saw that this film was three hours, I just want to say, I was like, oh boy. But it is a very straightforward plot, uh, fortunately. Like, there's a little bit of time jumping, but. Yeah, um, and here's the thing like, Bollywood movies, three hours is normal. There's an intermission in the middle. <laughs> you can eat. You can kind of chat while you're, you're doing it. You know, Shakespeare plays, right, are crazy mm-hmm. long, but they had kind of that carnival atmosphere originally. And I think Bollywood's very much in that, in that tradition. Um, especially, you know, 10 plus years ago of being these long movies with something for everybody in the audience. You didn't have the same kind of segmentation. Right. The fractionalization that happens in a lot of media. Yeah. Of, uh, having like super targeted audiences. Uh, you know, it's a process that we see with all media as it becomes more popular that, you know, it initially is like you said, something for everyone. We're trying to hit all the quarters of age and gender and uh, taste, uh, you know, for all these demographics. And then you get greater fractionalization of audiences. It's like, okay, we're not just going to be a 24 hour cable channel. We're going to just cover sports. And then we're just going to cover golf. And now we're just going to cover one sports team (laughs) on this 24 hour cable channel. (laughs) That's right. And I think that's one thing I liked about Bollywood movies growing up is that, that there's just a different feel when a movie really is made for for like everybody, this mm-hmm. this big cross section, there's a different variety, and there's a whole aesthetic that's built around how do you integrate those flavors, um, and still have often a coherent whole. Some Bollywood movies <laughs> less so, but but Birzara does really well. Yeah, uh, I I really did enjoy uh, watching it. Uh, so here's the summary, and then we, we can break down uh, the characters a little bit more. So we open with a musical number of Veer running through the mountains, like Julie Andrews in the beginning of Sound of Music. And this was very evocative of Sound of Music to me, uh, <laughs> the way he's he's dancing and the, the camera movements. And it's really stunning scenery throughout this film. That is one thing I do want to acknowledge is uh, the just the, the space that these characters are inhabiting is gorgeous, uh, both in terms of the natural landscape, but also a lot of the buildings that they use um, as backdrops. It's like, oh, wow, <laughs> that architecture is amazing. Um, but after what seems like just a joyous song and dance number, he awakens shaking in a jail cell, and he's much older. Uh, you can tell because his hair is slightly unkempt, but still styled. <laughs> <laughs> and he also, uh, we're going to find out he's been in jail for 22 years. He's got a little bit of scruff, like just a, a manly level of scruff. And they, uh, they're happening. so great. They grade him up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, and we discover that the government of Pakistan is allowing the cases of Indian prisoners to be reviewed, and a new lawyer, Samia Sa- uh, Siddiqui. Thank you. Samia <laughs> uh, Siddiqui, yep. 
Uh, she has been given the case of prisoner 786. As one of the first women to become a lawyer in Pakistan, she is treated with disrespect by the guards as she gets access to interview the prisoner. Prisoner 786 has not spoken since he was in prison 22 years ago, but he opens up to Samia. We now have the present day uh, in the jail cell storyline, cutting back to the story of how this man, Fear, came to be in the prison for 22 years. In the flashback, we find Zara, who is a Pakistani woman, her nanny who helped raise her but is something like a grandmother to her, is dying and asks uh, Zara to take her ashes back to India to be scattered in the Sultjet River. Sultjet, <laughs> so, so yeah. The, Thank you. So Kiratpur is a, like, you know, the Ganges River, there's <laughs> Hindu sites where they cremate. The In Sikhism, Kiratpur is like the sacred site where a lot of people have their ashes taken. Oh, okay. Thank you for additional context. It's, uh, for a lot of this, um, I could tell like there's a lot of um, cultural meaning that is implicit for the viewer, and I didn't know all of it. Like I could tell this is yeah. a sacred thing, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but they didn't like handhold me as a as an outsider <laughs> to, to really walk um, me through it. I don't speak a lot of Hindi Punjabi, but um, a little bit. And <laughs> there's a couple times where the they are very liberal with the subtitle translations. Mm. And there'll be different like theological, religious, cultural stuff that gets super just totally left out, even of the subtitle translations, right? Which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I've um I've I've heard this issue being raised more and more as there's I think a larger number of subtitled media is being consumed, whether it's Japanese anime or just through streaming services, we have so much more access to international media. And it seems like anytime there's one that's really popular, uh, people start calling out the subtitles. I know I, I didn't watch it, but I know Squid Game on uh, on Netflix was another one that people were like, mm, these subtitles are really missing the mark on a lot of the, <laughs> the uh, nuance of these character interactions here. Um, all right, so where were we? Okay, Zara. That <laughs> was a great tangent. I don't mind it. Uh, but Zara, uh, despite her family not wanting her to go, decides that she is going to do this by herself with plans to be back home before her father you know, would ever find out about it. Uh, her father's kind of this looming presence at this point. On the way, there's a bus accident, and Zara is in danger on a cliffside. Veer Singh, who is in the Indian Air Force, arrives and rescues her, being lowered by a winch from a helicopter. As they're being lifted off the cliffside, she drops the bag that has her grandmother's ashes, and she begs to go back for it. He really doesn't want to, but she is hysterical about this, and he eventually lowers them back down so that she can reclaim the bag. After the rescue, Veer chews out Zara. Uh, later, she sees him and explains why the bag meant so much to her. Uh, Veer sees that she is having trouble with the Indian bus system and steps in to accompany her to the river. He has several days of leave to be able to go back home, but this detour won't put him too far behind schedule. They get to the river, and uh, Veer has been moved by Zara's faithfulness to her grandmother's wishes, and he asks her to come to see his village before she returns to Pakistan. As they are returning to his village, kids see Veer coming back, and they start yelling that he has a woman with him, and like in like 20 seconds, you see this, Veer's coming back with a woman to like his girlfriend, to his fiance, to his wife. <laughs> like, Veer's back with his wife. The rumors escalate very quickly. By the time they reach his um, aunt and uncle who had raised him, uh, they hear that he is married to this woman. Things get cleared up. We learn that Veer's aunt and uncle founded this village, his uncle is very proud of the school for boys that they built. And Zara asks why there isn't one for girls. And uh, he's a little embarrassed. That night, he announces that instead of a new cr a cricket field, they're going to build a school for girls in the village. Veer and Zara, if you're wondering, have begun to develop feelings for one another. 
Veer takes Zara to the train station to return to her home. He's about to confess his feelings for her when a man approaches them. This is Zara's fiance. He is very grateful, but also very standoffish with Veer. <laughs> Uh, in Pakistan, uh, Zara realizes that she is actually in love with Veer and not her fiance. She asks her mom if her dad would die for her. And uh, her mom says that men love differently than women. Obviously, like the mom's like, I would die for your dad. I've given up my life for your father. Uh, <laughs> but he would not do the same for me. And that's okay. Zara, though, knows that Veer would give his life for her. Um, and she knows that her fiance Raza does not actually love her. The marriage is to advance the political ambitions of both her father and Raza's family. Um, Zara's maid seeing the conundrum that Zara is facing. Uh, she calls Zir and asks him to come to Zara. He quits the air force and goes to Pakistan. He arrives the day before Zara's wedding and she runs to him. Zara's father falls ill in shock. Zara's mother begs Veer to leave so that Zara's father will recover, and he agrees. As he is leaving, Veer is arrested. Raza has framed him as an Indian spy, and in the interrogation room, he tells Veer that if he signs a confession that he was a spy and goes to jail, jail, Zara will have a happy life. But if he fights this accusation, Raza will turn Zara away and ruin her family's reputation, and her life will be ruined. Veer agrees to confess that he was a spy, and uh, the bus that he was going to ride home on crashes with no survivors, and Zara and Veer's family believe that he died in this bus crash. We jump to the present day, and Veer's lawyer, Samia, vows to get him out in a little bit of late drama, which I really was not expecting all this drama to come <laughs> come at us here in the in the final act. Well, you we gotta learn... have every spice in the masala, right? So you got a love story, courtroom drama, mm -hmm. comedy. It's all there, man. And I loved it because it makes uh, the Smia character like really interesting. I I really liked her. Um, like already at the beginning when we find out that she's uh, f honoring her father's wishes by becoming a lawyer and she's one of the first women lawyers in all of Pakistan. Like already a great character, but this like final act arc for her uh, elevates her presence in the film. So we find out that the prosecuting lawyer arguing for Veer's continued imprisonment is her old boss. She quit when she realized that he only cares about winning cases and not uh, what is fair or just. Uh, and in fact, he has never ever lost a case and he is determined to defeat her because she quit working for him and went to some charity organization <laughs> that uh, is, is worried about helping people. And he's like, that's not what the law is about. The law is about being right uh it, whether you actually are or not <laughs> but proving you're that, that you're right in the eyes of the court uh samia travels to veer's village to find someone who can verify his true identity she is shocked when she finds zara there after the bus crash crash she called off the wedding to raza with her father's blessing and then she went to veer's village to help found and run the girls school zara comes to the court and verifies veer's identity he is freed and he and zara marry and return to his village to enjoy the rest of their lives together. The end. Um, my daughter, when she was little, used to love this movie and she couldn't read yet. Um, but sometimes I remember once walking through the living room, seeing this four or five year old girl watching this movie just with tears streaming <laughs> down her face going, but they won't be together. They will miss each other. They will miss each other. So, you know, I mean, like it sounds melodramatic in the summary because it is, but like, I don't know, Aaron Sorkin um, said that sometimes those melodramatic moments, right? Those, those high emotion moments are like in baseball swinging for a home run and, and you might miss it, but if you hit it, sentiment 
really can land. And and I think there's a lot of moments between the performances and the the aesthetic and use of musical motifs where the sentiment really really does land in in this one. So so yeah, it, it did make my my four year old daughter cry, even though she didn't you know wasn't wasn't even reading what was going on. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is very melodramatic, but in like kind of a Shakespearean way. Like this is a Romeo and Juliet story, right? Yeah. I, I I don't think you can do a summary and avoid the word star-crossed lovers in some ways. Right. They're they're using the uh, the India Pakistan border and uh, the divide there as the barrier, and it keeps some of the tragedy of Romeo and Juliet of them being torn apart from each other and having a like. The, the phrase that gets used at least in the subtitle several times is like giving his life for her, which he does, you know, 22 years of his life. He gives in complete silence so that as far as he knows, she can be carrying on uh, a, a happy existence uh, without him. But we do get that twist to the happy ending yes. <laughs> that, that comes. Yep. So we get, you know, the drama of Romeo and Juliet uh, and the tragedy, but then also a coda <laughs> that, that is going to give some of uh, you know, a positive dopamine hit for the audience yep. here at the very end. Yep. And that's not universally true of, of um, Bollywood films. Like Omkara comes to mind when we're talking about uh, Shakespearean films. It's literally Othello in contemporary India, and there is no happy ending to Othello, right? It's a really hard play um, to, to twist for a happy ending. But, I mean, you think Romeo and Juliet would be hard, but I think Othello yeah. is even harder. And and so Othello, it doesn't, and instead you have that, that ending you know is coming, hanging over the whole film, and just these sentimental romantic moments break your heart, right? <laughs> because you know where this ends. But um, but yeah, they 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 pull off the the happy ending in this one and and you get that. I think though, um if you if you are gonna do like Romeo and Juliet with a twist where okay, you start with the star crossed lovers, but you want the happy ending, I think the move that you most often see is that you know things get resolved uh in some way mm -hmm. that allows them to have a happily ever after as young lovers like from that point on and i thought it was interesting that this film kind of managed to do both and i wasn't sure where it was going uh when i was entering you know the final act i'm like well i know he's in prison for a long time because i've seen him in his old man makeup uh and uh you know how is this going to work uh in any way that's going to be satisfying and i think they managed to both pay off the the drama but also provide us with that happy ending yeah, and I think it's important to what the film's trying to achieve. You'd alluded to it at the beginning of the episode, but but politically, it is speaking to this India-Pakistan divide, right? Mm -hmm. That's killed tons of people, that's really affected the, the life in both countries, um, but is also this weird wound because the there's so much overlapping culture, right? Um, between these these enemies. And so Romeo and Juliet is apt there, right? Because it's about the, the damage that the enmity between the houses can create. And so they don't they don't want to cheapen that by making it too easily resolved, right? Like it mm -hmm. there has to be a price they pay. There there has to be real damage through the film that's caused by this border for them to be able to raise the questions they want to about what, why did we collectively as societies let this happen? And why do we continue uh, to let this border divide it, us the way that it does? And even um, the the character that dies, the nanny, 
doesn't she say like I'm older than Pakistan because that was yes. established in 1947? You're saying she's her acting career goes back to the 30s, so she is quite literally. Yeah, older the actress than is literally older than Pakistan, and yeah. So the the backstory there is that um, so before partition in Punjab region, you had a large Muslim population, a large Sikh population, a large Hindu population. And then at partition, everybody moved, right? And relatively few Sikhs and Hindus stayed in Pakistan, relatively few Muslims stayed in uh, Punjab in India. Um, just everybody switched past each other. Um, and there was a lot of you know rioting that broke out and, and deaths along the way. Just re really one of the great tragedies of the 20th century. Um, but yeah, so Zara's family moved at the inception of Pakistan and and this Sikh nanny stayed with them. She moved with the family at that time. So so yeah, she says she's older than it than Pakistan she is, and, and she's been happy to live in Pakistan. And and that's kind of a rhetorical strategy of the movie, too, to say Pakistan can be the country of this Sikh nanny. It's it's not only uh, a Muslim country, even though it's created as a Muslim state, right? Yeah, but, and and the film does like highlight like both people being very proud of their homelands and showing right. off the beauty of both homelands. Yes. Yep. Yeah, I, I think it's a very specific move that's being done, and I I remember when I was looking up trivia, I saw some quote from the uh, the director that that was something that he really wanted to to emphasize. Yep. Yeah, and you mentioned the the lush cinematography, which you know Bollywood does a lot of, and um, you know we'd mentioned that a lot of Bollywood films it, it's called Bollywood because of Bombay, Mumbai being the headquarters. That's where a lot of the sound stages are. That's where the financing happens. But most of the films don't take place in Mumbai. <laughs> they take place in Punjab, Haryana, on the border with Pakistan. That is this scenic. You have the the wheat fields and the mustard fields. Mm -hmm. Some of those wheat field shots and, are just gorgeous when you see like the wind making the waves through. And yeah. the camera just, like it's such a long, luxurious take. Like it, I think in a lot of Hollywood films, you get like one second of that. <laughs> they will hold this and really let you just kind of be almost mesmerized by the way the wheat fields were, were flowing back and forth. Yep. Yeah. And there's, I mean, wheat is just a big part of Punjabi identity, right? And so, and so if you show that it goes deeper, I remember somebody uh, writing about the United States once uh, that he teaches his kids geography first, right? And like, we'll give them quarters for memorizing different things from maps because later they're going to realize there's all these problems in the country, but like, those amber waves of grain are still beautiful no matter what we've done. And I think, I think that's true of a lot of places, right? Like you fall in love with, with space and um, the physical parts of things. And so they'll show wheat fields, they'll show mountains, they'll show these lakes um, because there's an attachment that like transcends political turmoil in in just landscape. Mm -hmm. And as far as like the, uh, the style of Bollywood where you're going to have these like big 
dance numbers and and music numbers to to really lean into some of this natural beauty as you know for like some of the equivalent like i think for hollywood films would be like busby Ber- berkeley musicals which were all on sound stages and like tightly controlled environments it just gives it a very different feel uh to to have this wide open space around so much of it yeah and you mentioned the architecture too they are really intentional with using like religious spaces in the film so you know you'll see the gurdwara the sikh place of worship where um zara brings her grandma's ashes to the river and then one of one of my favorite songs is a muslim religious devotional song but that can like a lot of the devotional songs have romantic imagery right and so uh you can hear this medieval (laughs) poetry but interpret it through the lens of their relationship and then you've got like a saint's uh burial place and shrine as the backdrop for that right and it's super dramatic and like classic bollywood like rains at exactly the right moment (laughs) of tension a lot of rainstorms (laughs) (laughs) yep um one thing that's interesting i thought as i um was considering these characters i think when there's films that embrace generic tropes which this film seems to be doing for for bollywood films there is a chance for characters to become caricatures and outside of the fiance <laughs> who definitely remains a caricature i think they really allow all the characters to get pretty fully formed uh even if there are some elements like the uh the uncle who raised him in some ways is like an american sitcom dad <laughs> that's you know trying to get out but he's also really proud of this village that he made and he did do a lot of work and he does change right to to give the girls school um, but there's a whole song that really did feel a little like a, a you know, 1950s uh, battle axe wife uh, lay about husband kind of, well, <laughs> kind of feel, or even going back to like a Rip Van Winkle <laughs> almost, you know, like like a really old trope. Uh, wife, but they they do enough that it's it's not just that trope for that character. Yeah, my wife calls it the battle of the sexes song. Like mm-hmm. a lot of them will have here's all the men complain about women, here's the women complaining about the men, right? Um, and they kind of it's affectionate, right? They're, they're addressing each other directly and, um, and riffing back and forth. So that's the, the trope it's built around, but yeah, you're right. Um, with Chowdhury Samir Singh, uh, that's the Amitabh Bachchan character, um, that, that very famous actor. Um, they do nuance it different ways and, and they give him these moments of, of reflection and change where he's not just, He's not just this goofy dad or certainly not like the, the stern patriarch that is another trope. I guess mm-hmm. Zara's dad would be closer to that trope. Although yeah. um, Bomani Rani, who plays uh, Zara's dad, he's a great actor. Um, they actually have separate awards in Bollywood cinema for best villain. You have like best, best actor, best supporting actor, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But you also have best villain every year, which I love. Uh, and he's won it multiple times, but, but he has some real moments of vulnerability, right? Where he'll be the stern patriarch. That's the trope. And then ask for Zara's forgiveness, right? Mm -hmm. Or say like, I don't know if, if my attachment to our family's ambitions, political ambitions, if that's strength or if that's my weakness. And so the way that the script and then the performance 
embrace the trope and then undercut it and give this human edge. Yeah, I think it. there's a lot of dimension in the supporting cast throughout. Again, I do want to maybe want to just dig in for a second about Raza, though. He is like just one step away from twirling a mustache. <laughs> so many of the scenes that he that he appears in. And I think for that character, I don't mind that there's not a whole lot of depth to him because he really is there as impediment. Like that is yeah. basically the, the only role that he has. And the actor is leaning into it, like like not really fully chewing the scenery, but but stepping right up to the edge pretty close <laughs> i'll say the one moment i think they give him is when he he does get that monologue describing to veer do you know the pain that i am going to endure you know i i need to be married to her for my family's political uh ambitions and i will always know she's in love with you right and you see this you see pain and not just vengeance, right? Right, but, yeah, but, but it doesn't get played pain. as, well, the natural out here would be to say, she doesn't love me, <laughs> so I'm going <laughs> to let her go free. It doesn't get played, like there's never a moment where you can expect that that turn to happen for him. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, but uh, I do want to say the actor does a fantastic job as like the villain that you, you has just like a punchable face, <laughs> like the yes. way that he's sneering <laughs> At Veer every time that he comes in, uh, things like that. Um, one other thing I just want to ask you as someone who has seen a lot more Bollywood films, can you consume so many more than I have? Um, I still found it jarring, not the musical numbers, but the what I assume is the dubbing for the actress's voice. It goes so high pitched, and I was just a little caught off guard for like, oh, that's the singing voice here. Okay, the singing. Uh, oh, I mean, that's in in Indian music, right? Mm-hmm. There's a higher and Pierre Zara may be higher than typical. Mm-hmm. Like, like it is that higher, thinner kind of sound. Um, but definitely there's a cultural sensibility difference right. between how we think of, of music and this, this high, thin female sound. It, it is more similar. I mean, I don't know like Chinese opera super well, but you'll hear some, some soundscapes that, that feel more comparable to me there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think that's just Virzara. I think that's a, a general Indian music soundscape that, that listeners are comfortable with this like very high sort of thin female sound being within the range of, of what you can do. Right. And it was just uh, different enough. Like, like we, we could see yep. enough musicals like, like breaking into a musical number. I don't I don't mind. <laughs> you know, like that, that doesn't jar me at all. And particularly like I know that's part of Bollywood. Uh, but it, I, I like the word that you use. Like it's just a, a higher register soundscape than maybe what we consume as Western audiences. Yeah, yeah that's that's something you definitely you, you would notice switching over. And that's again, there's Vir, is probably pushing things further than the average film. But but with a randomly selected Bollywood film, you'd feel that difference. Yeah. Um, okay. Should we dig a little into the two two main characters yeah. here, of Veer and Zara? Do you have one that you want to talk about first? Well, maybe we should start with Zara because that's kind of the way the structure does, right? Yeah. That Act One. It, well, okay. Wait. Now I'm going to second guess myself because <laughs> it says in the movie that that the first half is his love story where he's falling in love with her. The second half is her love story where she's falling in love with him. But the 
protagonist who's driving it is actually reversed, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Zara is the one with with an objective. It, the the other question in the halves would be who's crossing the border, mm-hmm. and so in the first half of the film, Zara is the one who's crossing a border. In the second half, it will be Veer. So so if we follow that order and say let's go with Zara first because she crosses the first border. Yeah, and I think the the, the outsider um, point of view is something that's used very often to help the audience kind of get a sense of a world. And in this case, we get both, you know, like you said, depending on what act we're talking about, there's a different outsider view that uh, that's coming in. Uh, Zara is for me an interesting character because she is simultaneously like she's, she's so driven, right. Uh, in, In what she wants to accomplish, but what she wants to accomplish is also very shaped by like her parents' point of view <laughs> right uh and so like it, it's uh both agentive but also reactionary <laughs> i think is, is some of what we see with with zara yeah and okay yeah how do i want to talk about this so my least favorite song of the film like i, I like a lot of the songs in this film a lot but there's an early one that is a bollywood trope of like kind of carefree young woman, right? Mm-hmm. Um, who says, I'm gonna, I do what I want, that sort of thing. And a lot of times that they'll bring that up because, I mean, India, of course, has a much more collectivist culture, like a lot of countries in the world, but that's very different than the US or Western Europe. That's the much more individualist culture. And so... Family is supposed to weigh heavily on these people, right? right. Mm-hmm. And yet there are some generational changes where that's maybe changing a little bit. And so and so a lot of Bollywood films will play with, here's the, the character who's a younger woman, who's carefree and not necessarily willing to listen real closely to the way things ought to be done, right? Yeah. And so Zara starts out in that trope. Um, one of the things that's interesting about her though is the main way that they have her defying parents expectations early is to honor this grandmother figure right? her surrogate grandmother <laughs> yes um and so, so, so it's still family like it's still yes. honoring family it's just there's competing demands being placed on her based on her filial obligations yes So she's allowed to be this character you can really root for in terms of honoring filial obligations at the same time that there's this trope of like, she's going to go do her thing and, and be independent. And, and yeah, that's, that's just an interesting mix. It it is Um, very much a, uh, like, like the rebellion is not a rebellion (laughs) kind of situation that we get from her because she's going against her, particularly her father's wishes. Like again, like there's this shadow being cast of like the idea of her father, not wanting her to do anything that's going to upset the, the, I mean, what we find out to be like the political arrangements that he's. And this is, I mean, it's pretty scandalous. Like in terms of gender expectations for a woman to just go off and have a solo road trip is scandalous on its own. Having a cross border, solo road trip into the enemy country when you're from a political family like she she's really you know it's not just a little bit outside of the expectations what she's doing 
she's making well, a they, big choice there. And then add yeah. on that it becomes a, uh, you know, a paired off uh, adventure <laughs> with a potential yes. romantic uh, yes. interest. Yes. And that's something, well, and she was hoping to get back more quickly. But then um, when Veer asks her, hey, can you stop by my village on the way, right? That's another thing where, again, she's making a choice that's going to, it's raising this temperature of like, you can mentally track how much trouble is she in when she gets home and it's going up and up and up and up. Um, but almost always there's this like altruistic motivation or, or paying social obligations, right? She has an obligation to the surrogate grandmother for having raised her and provided that care. Right. And mm -hmm. so even though it, it's a nanny, it's not someone who's super visible she needs to do right by her and right by God, right? Because even though Nanny's from a different religion, you still don't mess with God, whatever religion we're talking about. And so there's there's this, yeah, she's she's doing right by a matriarch, by by God. And then I guess the other code is is hospitality exchange, right? That mm -hmm. here's someone who helped her out and went out of her way, his way to help her out. And if he's then offering hospitality, like she's she's bound uh, to accept that. And so she's willing to risk more family wrath and drama in order to be the guest she's she's asked to be and and have this reciprocal relationship. I mean, something you just said actually put me in mind. I went and double checked and it's actually a conversation about a text that we did around the same time. It was within a, a few months of when we did Dilwale. Uh, we did. Antigone, an ancient Greek text that becomes very much about the idea of competing obligation and loyalty and honoring of, uh, are you honoring the God's request? Are you honoring your family obligations? And that there's multiple obligations that you're feeling. And when they're in conflict with each other, how do you choose which one to follow? Yes. And, yeah, and uh, that's part of the, the genius of this film. And part of why I love these characters right is because mm -hmm. they they struggle and i don't know like i think so many romances right are you've got this genre of desire and like learning to go after what you want and changing like most of them are stories of change but um but still in pursuit of like your objective where in this one, there's all these moments where they're like deferring on what they want for a larger duty. And that ends up being what what deepens the romance, right? Yeah, um, I, I think a lot of romances, what the, the drama can become can come from transgression uh, in in pursuit of like your your own wants uh, is is where the transgression comes in for, for both Veer and Zara. I think we get a lot of. Uh, uh, I, I, what, what is the greater good? Uh, and what do I have to sacrifice in order to, to achieve that greater good? Is it going to be the wrath of my father might come into play if I'm honoring, uh, my surrogate, uh, grandmother? Is it going to be that I am going to have to give up essentially my life, uh, but not literally, but, but, you know, by living in jail in order to ensure that the woman I love can have a happily ever after without me, you know, it's it, multiple, uh, obligations are, are, uh, you know, path forked in front of them and which one are they going to yeah. choose? And it's interesting, you know, we find out at the end in that court case, right? Because Sonia goes to find evidence that 
that beer is beer, not this uh, false Invented identity, spy. right? They didn't frame beer as a spy. They said he was this other person. Um, anyway, but um, but when she goes back and finds Zara is there, the reason Zara went back, it wasn't to be with beer. It's because she thought beer was dead and felt this obligation to his family, right? Because they had hosted her and she'd felt this connection because she challenged the uncle on gender and he built the girls school. And so, you know, I don't know. It's just interesting there too, that it's, it's not by looking for each other that they find each other, right? It's by being willing to do these other things that then they're in the right places to, to receive this love story. Yeah. I like that, that framing of it. Uh, you know, that it's something that by, finding what is actually the greatest good that they could be doing that is what puts you know a love re resolution uh you know available to them as an option mm -hmm. um what about veer how would you break down this character yeah um so veer's interesting too it's interesting that he's in the air force right they they layer that in and it's interesting plot mechanics right like it's it's justified at the beginning as if the reason he were they chose an Air Force person is for this meat cute, I guess, of, <laughs> of him coming down for the helicopter Air, rescue. Airlifting right? her off a cliffside. Uh, airlifting her off a cliffside and then pulling a strand of hair out of her face. Um, the strand of hair is also a total Bollywood trope. You can fall in love with somebody's strand of hair in their face. Um, <laughs> But but then it pays off because he has to quit his job to go to Pakistan, right? Like as as an Air Force officer, he can't cross the border. Yeah. So the only way he can cross the border is by giving up this life he's known, um, and he's willing to do it, right? Um, that's an interesting protagonist element. Uh, you know, another thing you talked about for his uncle, the layers, right? That there's this funny sitcom dad layer, but there's this more reflective, serious layer too. And I think beer, there's some of that, right? You get this like playful side. You get this like, I'm very business oriented, no nonsense um, Air Force officer side. And then, um, I don't know, like you see a lot of, tenderness from him right these moments of just appreciation uh for zara and and what she's doing these moments of resolve he does decide after having given up his job right before he gets framed and that um he's ready to go back to india without getting the woman he loves because her mom asked him to right yes and so you see i that really did same... like that conversation but, like, it was so well acted and written. Yeah, it's beautiful. And it's interesting too, right? Because he appeals to their shared culture there mm -hmm. and says like, how could I, as an Indian, upset you as a mother, right? Yeah. Um, so so again and again, the film is is invoking these like shared cultural things to say, there may be this border between us. There may be all this politics between us, but we're we're one people, you know. Um, but no, those are things I like about um, 
there in terms of choices. I, I one other thing with Zara that comes to mind. Okay, one of my my favorite song is probably the one at the shrine. It's so good. Um, but the uh, during her engagement party mm-hmm. in Pakistan. So this is after she's gotten back from India. She was already engaged before she went on the trip, you know, or scheduled to be engaged. Yes, I, I guess, was gonna say, right? like, for me, um, it was—I don't know if it was a, a subtitle issue, but I'm like, wait, are they fiance? <laughs> because then it's like, well, you're going. We have the big engagement party, not the wedding yet, but the big engagement party. Yes, <laughs> yes. So, so the families have already been like setting up. They've arranged in conversation, that. but the the formal engagement party ceremony uh happens after they get back um to pakistan or she gets back to pakistan but you've got this great song where he's in her head and and i think pretty zinta does such a good job just being haunted by it so you see it's like this really intense song like the the desire imagery is there um (laughs) And and so you've got that layer and then her like trying to focus on other things and be the good daughter. And yeah, then there's just like being haunted. I don't know. Like, I, I just think both of the characters, because they have these layers of obligation and, and layers of desire, um, they get really layered, right? That, that here's one moment where it's not just Oh, I'm falling in love with him. I mean, you always have some resistance in romance, right? I yeah. thought he was a jerk, but now I like him or whatever. You know, I'm I'm resisting this attraction is always there, but but because there are these different layers, I don't know, it it plays out in such an interesting way. And I do think uh like if you're not up to three hours, if you go look up a couple of the songs from Dirzara, you can get a pretty good flavor for it. And that song, uh, uh, would be a good one where you can just watch it as like a standalone music video and get good storytelling just in that piece that, that I think shows a lot of what the layering is happening for Zara as a protagonist. Um, I, I think you know, we, we've acknowledged that there's a lot of interesting nuance and motivation and conflict that the film is able to provide in this three-hour runtime. But I think it does run into the issue of uh, these characters know each other for three days and they are, like, sacrificing lives for one another. Uh, do you feel like that is fully earned or is it still kind of like uh, the Disney Princess Syndrome? I'm like, well, when I stop and look at the timeline, is this a little rushed? That's... I, I think that's more a cultural code thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, like, Indian love is is like um, medieval love, right? Where, like, okay, you may be married to one person, but the favor from that lady, right? And you're jousting for her. It's not like you're trying to get together. There's this, like, idealized love. Mm-hmm. So, India, culturally, there's a lot of, like, love can mean love at first sight sort of thing and you're not necessarily ever going to end up together right because still culturally there's a lot of arranged marriage and and like the companionate love is a separate thing that develops so i think 
what you're doing there is like you're supposed to accept that they are in some kind of love really from the moment on the helicopter rescue with, with the hair go, across the eye right 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 from that moment there's something now he hasn't all the way necessarily accepted that yet although maybe it's fueling some of why he's annoyed with her because he's feeling this feeling definitely for her she's not acknowledging anything yet the companionate stuff is starting to grow a little bit, but I think you have to put those in sort of separate piles, right? Mm-hmm. In in the United States, where we date to find marriage partners, we do a lot more waffling. <laughs> um, uh, there's a film called Love Odge Call that's an interesting exploration of that issue, actually. Uh, so Love Odge Call, uh, Odge Call means these days, call in Hindi... It means tomorrow and yesterday. It's one word, which tells you something about the subcontinent's view of time, right? Um, just one day from today. But but Lovage Call uh, has one storyline that's in the diaspora. So Indians living overseas who are dating and then get jobs in different cities. So they have a breakup party because they're going to move here and there and having the more sort of Western style love. And then you have a separate storyline played by the same uh, performers of uh, another generation of love story, right? Um, that's this that's this older style and there's the contrast. So if you're, if you're interested in that contrast, Love Edge Call would be a great movie to watch. All right, the last character I want to talk a little bit about is... Yeah. Uh, the the lawyer yeah samia Siddiqui. yes uh she gets a really prominent like protagonist opening to the film where i thought this was gonna be one of the main characters we're following <laughs> and then and then we didn't but then it circles back at the end and like i said she kind of gets a full character arc in the final act um i thought the performance was really strong and a lot of the issues like I said, they, they make it full text, not subtext. Like we're, we're going to be talking about feminism. We're going to be talking about women in roles that are not traditional. We're going to be talking about the pushback and, uh, you know, the prejudice that they're going to face as they they do this. And then it's uh, not just being, uh, you know, a woman as a lawyer. It is It becomes like these different philosophies about how to be lawyers. Are you just trying to win the case no matter what? Or is it an issue of justice? And... Um, I just was surprised at the amount of depth that we were able to get from a character that disappears for kind of two thirds of the movie <laughs> after, uh, you know, a really strong opening scene, then largely gone. Uh, and then we, we we circle back. It was just interesting in terms of the story structure uh, for me, how how much we ended up getting from her. Yeah, Rania Mukherjee did win a Best Supporting Actress for that role. Um, she does really well with it. But, but the script's isn't afraid to give her stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And and yeah, it's interesting the way that um, that she fights for this victory, and it's a big deal. Um, but she fights with this tenderness, right? Part of the reason no one like Beer because he doesn't want to give anything away has not talked to anyone in these twenty two years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because he doesn't want to get out of jail. And so when she comes, uh, initially, he doesn't, he doesn't want to give her the time of day. Um, and yet, 
like her her gentleness, her willingness to listen, the fact that she picks up on cues and asks him, like, tell me about her, right? Um, the, those are what help him open up. And then, and then, yeah, you see in these other scenes uh, with her the way that she's doing things. She even makes like a spiritual case at one point, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Where she asks the, the guards to treat him with more respect um, because his prisoner number is a sacred number in Islam, right? And so there's this moment of confrontation where she th- she says, do you think it's a coincidence that the, that the one uh, Indian prisoner here, this non-Muslim prisoner got, got God's own number? Um, so, so yeah, she's, she's super interesting character. Interesting too, that she's got a relationship with her parents. Her dad's dead and she still goes to the grave and talks to him. Right. Yes. And um, the, uh, she's trying to honor his wishes. Yeah. And so you see these like intergenerational relationships throughout, which is another thing I love about Bollywood movies is that you have intergenerational relationships. I love that you can have a really compelling character in her nineties, right? Mm-hmm. That, that the moms on both sides of the border are really important characters. You know, we haven't talked about, well, we talked a little bit about Miriam uh, or Mariam, uh, Zara's mom. But mm-hmm. but she's a really interesting complex character. So, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to, you know, break down the ages of Hollywood versus Bollywood uh, women's roles and kind of see how the graphs compared. Because uh, I think in the West we've decided that women are most interesting in their twenties, and then it just sort of drops off. <laughs> and and India, there's there's. There really is this clear, most Indian films will have a younger woman, a mother, and a grandmother. And actually, a lot of them will have a little kid, too. Dear Zara doesn't really have a prominent little kid, uh, but that's quite common in Indian films. Yeah, um, you mentioned Zara's mother, and that was one of my other favorite scenes, was when uh, Zara and her mother were talking about like what love is. It's um, There's so much like complexity that the actress was able to give to her responses and a lot of like levels of emotion that she played in talking about, I mean, what, what, what was, you know, a lot of the subtext about her relationship with her husband, uh, her hopes for her daughter, uh, the need to advance the family, but also trying to see her daughter happy. Uh, and, you know, as a mother, how can you <laughs> balance all of those, those things at once? And it's, you see the struggle playing out across her face. Yeah, and it's that same Greek tragedy principle you were talking about, right? Where, you know, I mean, you could say she's more on the antagonist side. She's she's definitely leaning toward breaking this couple up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but she's presented in a really sympathetic way as dealing with complicated forces. And I don't know that you judge her for saying men's love and women's love is different even even though the film is saying that guys this shouldn't be the case right Mm -hmm. like like the film is clearly calling for a a somewhat more egalitarian sort of gender balanced love at the same time that the character is given a lot of dignity in her articulation of this position that that's not how she's constructed her life yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. 
And I think yeah. that's it too, that, that like the characters really own their choices in this film, right? Even they'll give you the doubts and they'll give you the crosstalk and then they own this choice. And there's something really compelling about that, that they, that they lay out the complexity of the choice and then just, just own a choice that they've made. Yeah. I, I, and as an audience, um, you know, we're, you're really able to see the, you know, that they, the, the paths that are in front of them, why they would be feeling it. It's not like just rooting for like, okay, that's, there's only one, one choice here, <laughs> right? Uh, it does feel earned when Veer is going to have this monologue about, of course, I can't really take her. Uh, I, I, I have to let her be, you know, in the, uh, with you, uh, her, her mother. Um, even as like the the romantic in you is like no you you know love conquers all <laughs> you know throw throw down uh, the the systems uh, the politics and the you know the the family dynamics like throw that all away uh, and go you know run away and maybe one of you uh, drinks fake poison and everyone stabs themselves and and then maybe it's something cool learn. <laughs> you know what it is uh, but we don't get that and it's still really satisfying yeah all right well. I have really enjoyed this discussion, but I think we're going to have to be wrapping up. Do you have any final thoughts about uh, this particular film or uh, Bollywood in general? Anything you want to share for our listeners? Yeah. Um, I mean, I I think everybody should watch a couple Bollywood movies um, and especially a couple that are, again, like... I think the distance between Bollywood film and Western film is narrowing a little bit as Indian culture changes and opens up. And I think watching the films where there's more distance can be really good just to give you a different sense of like the, the narrative range that's possible, the, the range of human experience that we can value. And so, yeah. I remember hearing once that in some ways the United States is this cultural center of the world because, you know, we export so much culture, but then paradoxically we end up kind of impoverished because we're not reading a lot in translation. We're not watching a lot of films Mm -hmm. uh, that don't come from our story world. And so I'd reach out. The other thing I got to say about Beer is just a little bit of a grain of salt is I love the like anti-borders message and all that kind of thing. It is interesting that I feel like um, it's on very Indian and even Hindu terms. So like we can all be one. We all share a culture and look, you, you Muslims in Pakistan, you can be real Hindus too. Right. (laughs) And, um, and so yeah, one one just little little thing I would say is that I don't know if they totally solved the problem of how do you reconcile Indian and Pakistani worlds because part of how they did it is by saying, oh, if only Pakistan would admit how much like India it is without giving, I mean, there's some space um, for, you know, like beautiful scene with this Sufi poem and, and stuff, but but again, that's something that's part of Indian culture too. I guess I don't know. Anyway, I think yeah. As and, and I reflected I on the story, film, it's interesting. It, you're not going to be able to solve that in a three-hour film, <laughs> and you got to do a little hand waving. I think of 
and we overcame. <laughs> well, well, I think you could try. I don't know that they wanted to. <laughs> You yeah, know, yeah, and I think fair. that's sometimes there's there's an interesting thing when we're when you're telling a story that's operating across cultures, what like unspoken assumptions, right? What's the baseline that's the bedrock? And in this one, the bedrock definitely is like a a Bollywood bedrock. It's mm-hmm. it's the more Indian bedrock, and that cultural system you, you win on those terms right and yes. and i think that's interesting when we think about yeah if, if you're gonna i would love to take there's our as a as like a text to talk with people about in a course about india pakistan relationships and and those cultures um but i think it's partly interesting because of what it represents and partly interesting because of the things that it chooses not to say and the places that it chooses not to go. And I think, I mean, there's issues of, uh, you know, production and reception, like who is making this and and who's the primary audience that is going to dictate a lot of what you're saying. is this big, and this would not be the legendary love story if it were shaking up audience expectations in this way. So yeah, absolutely accept that. But I I think it's interesting as a viewer, Mm -hmm. that that's a thing to keep in mind. And if, if this is going to be an entry point to you to explore those worlds more, that's a thing I'd, I'd keep in mind, right? And just sort of ask yourself as as you move on, you know, if you were watching the Pakistani version of this same movie, what might be different um, there? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think there's so many versions of this, uh, as you said, like cultural interaction or the star-crossed lovers who are coming from different cultures uh, that exist. And it's, something to maybe always keep in mind is like which which culture is actually being presented as uh you know the the more sure <laughs> i guess yep. Uh, yep. of these well james thank you for coming on to the podcast as a first-time guest we always like to ask the dinner guest question because our podcast celebrates great characters and great stories if you could hang out with a handful of great characters for a dinner party just to enjoy the conversation that would happen who would you want to hang out with okay so this is a little this is a little crazy i don't know if this would turn out well but I'm really curious how it would go. So, so I've been talking Bollywood. So I was thinking about um, Salman Rushdie's Midnight's Children. That's big, wild novel I love. And there's a, a side character, important side character called Parvati the Witch in there. And I don't know, I'd be interested in kind of what is, what is she thinking, um, what comes out. And then... I thought a little bit, I, I'm primarily a writer of religious literature. I do Mormon literature. Um, so I thought of some religious characters. So um, I really like uh, Ellie Wiesel's, it's nonfiction, Souls on Fire, but sort of lyrical and stuff. So Nachman of, of Breslov is a Hasidic Rebbe that um, he tells stories of in there and i would love to have the 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 version that's created within that book come and tell his stories i'd love to get him together with father zosima from the brothers karamazov so that we've we've got a nice you know russian orthodox perspective along with this uh hasidic jewish and then my friend uh kathy cowley has written these murder mysteries the second one just came out that are about Mary Bennett from Pride and Prejudice. 
as a spy, right? Uh -huh. um, and her subsequent career. And I've been super interested in her, Mary Bennett. Um, and because Mary's very religious, I would love Kathy Cowley's Mary Bennett uh, <laughs> to come and just see how she gets involved in this religious conversation uh, with our, you know, Hindu, Eastern Orthodox and Hasidic Jewish characters um, at my wild dinner party. And again, like these characters are all like pretty weird and I don't know like how the conversation would go. There's not like a reliable, I don't know who's, who's the lubrication, who's keeping things going, but, but well, if you. something got sparked, <laughs> yeah. I think it'd be really interesting. Yeah. Uh, the, the Mary Bennett books, I have not read it yet, but I mentioned that to my wife and I think she, she read at least the first one and really enjoyed the secret life of Miss Mary Bennett. Oh, it's so good. It's so yeah. good. So I, I, I definitely like, it's one that's been on my radar of like, I, I need to circle back and, and pick up the Kindle and read that one. Cause I think she ordered it on our Kindle. You should well, have, you should have somebody talk about that on the podcast because it's I, really interesting to take, uh, how do you create a character who's consistent with something that exists in canon, but also totally surprising? Well, yeah, hearing, you know, Mary Bennett spy. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> Immediately there, there's questions there. And I love, I love Pride and Prejudice. It is one of my very favorite novels. And uh, so it, it, it's one that we should probably tackle <laughs> um, on the podcast sometime. Well, thank you again, James, uh, for coming on. That is going to wrap up this episode. And listeners, thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all of the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to duelinggenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We, like, we would like to thank Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. You can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod or at jdorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at Disminute. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. James, is there any final thing you would like to plug? Any of your books or, or projects? Well, just a reminder to people to check out the Bollywood Lovers Club if they're interested in that. Well, that sounds good. Uh, thank you again, listeners. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. You mentioned, uh, um, sorry, <laughs> sorry, Andrew, you have to do it a little edit. Lost my train of thought there. Sorry. <laughs>